All right, here's the deal. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to be in Exodus 33. And what I want to push us for uh, is there's things in this, there's, th- there's three different elements in this passage that we're going to be into um, that, that, are, uh, that I think are super important to understand if this is our desire. And what, here's what I'm talking about. If our desire is to go into deeper places with the Lord. Okay, so I just want you to think about that, and I need to talk about that for just a minute because I want to make sure that we don't hear something that I'm not saying, okay? But if in you there is a hunger to go to a deeper place with the Lord, then I think there's some things here that we really need to, need to examine. Now, let's talk about what it looks like to be hungry to go to deeper places. What I don't mean is that you want to perform more for God, okay? When I say deeper places, I'm not saying do more for God. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. The Bible nowhere tells us to do anything for him. Do you know that? Not one time does the Bible say that we're supposed to work for or do for God. That's not what we were created to do. That all of our production, right, in the kingdom comes from being in him. So we're called all over the scriptures to be, to live in him, from him. So everything that we do comes uh, from our relationship with him on the inner man. He's given us his spirit to live in us. And everything that the production that we participate in in the kingdom is not even our work. It's the spirit of God working in and through us to bring glory to God. Okay, you tracking? So that's, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about fruit. We're not talking about production of our Christian lives. So don't hear when I say, if, if you want to go deeper with the Lord, I'm not saying, do you want to do more for him? Ra, 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 Christian speech, okay? Not saying that, all right? What I'm talking about is this. Do you want to know him more? And let me just tell you this. God is infinitely available to you, but God will not force relationship on you. He is infinitely available for those that are hungry and want to seek him. But you must choose, you must make it a priority in your life to come after him, okay? He has come after us in this sense that he has, he has given everything that we might know him. But in knowing him, you must come after him. He will not make you go to the deeper places of that relationship with him. He, it, re- it requires hunger. Okay, and hunger has a has a, a strange way of showing up, and I think this is really important to understand. Hunger doesn't happen when you get it all right, right? Hunger doesn't happen when you've got your life all straightened up. Hunger can come in some strange places. Hunger for more of the Lord can come in some strange places. Hunger can actually come when nothing is right. In fact, you you, you may find that that's actually more common. Because when nothing is right, what does it produce in us oftentimes? Desperation. Like, this is not the way I need to be going, and so something has to shift, and desperation gets birthed in us, and desperation always precedes hunger, and desperation gives birth to hunger. If I don't want to go here anymore, I'm desperate for something new, now I'm hungry for what will give me actual satisfaction. And so sometimes actual hunger for the Lord to go deeper comes when we've got it the least put together. Okay? So there's nobody in here that's disqualified from being hungry. Look at me. Nobody in here is disqualified from being hungry and coming after God in a deeper way. Every single one of you has that opportunity. But you have to 
recognize that hunger, you have to come after him. And the scripture says that when we come after him, he's there to meet us. The moment when we come after him, he's there to meet us and he gives us everything that we need. So that's what we're going to look at this, this morning. And um, I want you to just know, basically what we're going to talk about is kind of like, maybe we call this the cost of being hungry. I don't know. We could come, would y'all do that? Like go to the creative department and maybe by the end of this, you can come up with some fancy title for this message. All right. All right. That was a joke. Two people laughed. That's okay. It's the beginning of the semester. I'll get warmed up about halfway. All right, so go to Exodus 33. Exodus 33, and I still don't feel like I'm in the right spot. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a real quick snapshot. There's, uh, there's a lot of stuff that happens before this, um, and so I'm just going to give you a real quick snapshot of where we're at. So basically, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt, and... Um, and God has promised to lead them and his presence be with them. Moses has gone to, uh, to meet with God and he's come back and they've created this golden calf that they've been worshiping, okay? Uh, and God has said that, uh, okay, fine, if this is the way you're going to have it, then you can still, basically, you still can have the promised land, but I'm not going with you. You can have kind of like this mediator. He said it, he, he promises that he will send an angel of the Lord with them, but he's not going, but they can still have the promised land. And this long kind of drawn out scenario, I'm obviously moving through it quickly, but the people go, nah, it's not what we want. <laughs> they repent. It's not what we want. We want you to go with us. And then Moses kind of begins to, on the back end of their repentance, Moses begins to um, intercede on behalf of the children of Israel and really petition God. And so what we're going to get is kind of this close-up look of, the, of those moments following the people of Israel's um, repentance and this uh, dialogue uh, between Moses and God and what Moses kind of does with, uh, with the children of Israel. But I, but I want us to, uh, to highlight, there's, there's three things I really want to highlight, and it's not because I'm Baptist that it's three things. I just saw that there's three things in here. Um, but, but I want to highlight some stuff. All right, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is like the cost maybe of being hungry. So let's, let's start reading a little bit. This is verse 1 of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people who you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. If you're an ite, watch out. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. I love the honesty there, right? Verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, can we just hear that in our heart this morning? That God says, I'm not going to go with you. It's a disaster. And when they heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments, for the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. Uh, if for a single uh, moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of ornaments from Mount Oreb onward. don't have time to get into that a lot, but they're basically posturing in repentance, just going, This is not what we want. We want you, God. We want your presence. And they've, they've created a physical uh, sign of that repentance, okay? 
Verse 7, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had got into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, eat at each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So, uh, kind of in, in this is the first two things. But the first thing I want us to look at, look, what happens is, so... Moses sets up his tent. Now, the tabernacle is not, um, is not ready yet. So Moses sets up his tent as the tent of meeting, okay? What that means is this is where God's going to interact with the people, okay? So the tabernacle is where that was going to happen. It's not there yet. So Moses sets it up outside of camp. Now, this is really, really, really interesting because the tabernacle was not going to be outside of camp. The tabernacle was going to be in the midst of the people. But Moses sets up the tent of meeting, and it's his, pl- it's his place. It's his Moses' dwelling, and he sets it up way outside of camp, right? So he goes way outside of camp. And what does it say? That when Moses would go in, basically here's the scene, when Moses would go in, this, the, this pillar of cloud, this, this presence of God would come down, and, and the people of Israel, what would they do? They would notice this pillar of cloud. The presence of God has come. Y'all tracking with me? And, and they would go outside their tent, and it's like, there's God speaking with Moses, right? And they would worship. Why? Because it's good for them, right? It's good for them that God was meeting with Moses. God's giving direction. And, and, and what, but what they're kind of doing is they're kind of going, yay, God, do your thing over there with Moses. And we're going to worship back here, but do your thing over there. Except, except for a few. This is really subtle, but if we don't see it, we're going to miss the picture of what, of what happens. So that tent of meeting is a place where God would interact with Moses and not just Moses. Look what it says in verse 7. Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And look, everyone who what? Sought the Lord. Everyone who sought the Lord would go outside of the tent, uh, sorry, would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it's not just Moses. The category of all those that would come to the tent, what was it? It was people who what? Sought the Lord. You see it? There were some that would stay back in the camp. And they would worship from far off. They would worship at a distance. They would observe the presence of God, but they would observe from a distance and they would worship. And are they worshiping? Yeah, in a way. But they're worshiping from far off. There was a group that didn't worship from far off. There was a group that worshiped from close in. There was a group, and what does it say about them? This group that worshiped from near the presence of God, what did it say about them? That they sought the Lord. They were hungry. They wanted to come into his presence. And what I want you to see here is this. 
that in order for them to do that, what did it require? First of all, it, had, it required their will. It required them saying, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and that going, what did it create with their community? It created separation from normal worship. We need to hear this. The cost of seeking God in the deeper place created separation from normal worship. And I just want to tell you this. If there's hunger in you, if there's that burning hunger in you to come after the Lord in a deeper place, you're going to have to leave normal worship behind. You're going to have to leave behind the majority and come after the Lord by yourself. Why? Because you hunger for him and nothing else will satisfy you but coming into his presence. What those people had to do is they had to say, you know what? I'm not going to stand at the door and watch Moses interact. I am going to myself with my feet. I'm going to journey. It required a journey and it required separation. But the, the, the uh, benefit of encountering God, not watching somebody, but encountering God for themselves was worth that cost. Listen to me. You're going to have to come out from the crowd. People who are hungry from the Lord, you're going to be a little bit odd because there's going to be separation. What we've done is we have created, and, and, and uh, I don't, boy, I wish I was more of a historian. I don't know how we necessarily got here, but we have created a normal and apathetic Christianity. How we got there from this radical thing that Jesus did and the radical birth of the church and the extreme measures to which Christ was being proclaimed, how we got from there to this like normal check off the box of religion of Christianity and that's about it kind of world. I don't know how we got there. There's people that study that, that that could tell you better than I could, but the reality is there's a whole lot of normal worship going on. And it's real easy to kind of get tricked into that being, well, okay, I've checked the box. But what hunger will do is hunger will make you come out from the normal. Hunger will make you come after him in a way that will separate you. And it's, look, it's not separation for gloating. If you take one step out towards him and turn around and go, I'm better than you, you've missed it. It's, it's a hunger that will separate you because th- there's nothing back here that will satisfy you. Because you want to know him in, in such a way that your life is transformed and that's the, the cost of that is, is worth coming out from the crowd. So hunger will create a journey of seeking after the Lord and will create separation. Look at me. Don't be afraid to be separated. The world changes because of people who are hungry for the Lord, not because of ordinary worship, okay? Ordinary, organized, normal, mundane, religious worship has never changed a thing. In fact, I would say it's a pollution to authentic following of Jesus, which by nature calls you out from normal. Y'all with me? Too much for round one? Like, we back? Okay, are we all right? Y'all good? All right, so the first thing is it creates separation. Here's another thing. I just love this. This was cool. So, 
All right, so here's what it says. That, so Moses would go out and people would watch. Moses would meet to God. And man, I would love to spend like a whole day on this discussion of what, how God met with Moses. Did you read what it said? Did you hear what it said? So it says that Moses met with God and they talked how? Face to face like friends, right? <laughs> that's, not just, like, that's not just Moses. We can be there. We can do that. God's made himself available to us in that way. And that's, that's good uh, description of deep relationship. Okay, but here's the deal. So this is really, again, one of these real subtle things. But, so they have this meeting. But what we don't realize, and this is kind of cool, is that Joshua was with Moses, right? Look at what it says. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses, verse 11, uh, face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. All right, there's tons here, right? First of all, if you're coming into God's presence, if you're going deeper, bring somebody with you. That's first. Bring somebody with you. Don't bring just anybody with you. It's not worth just bringing anybody, okay? Don't take anybody kicking and screaming. Take somebody that wants to go. Y'all hear me? Take somebody that wants to go. Don't try to fabricate a discipleship relationship by somebody kicking and screaming. Here, my rule is, if you don't want it, don't come. And that, I mean, seriously. If you don't want it, don't come. I'm not worried about you. When you want it, come, okay? I, wanted, I want people to come with me that want to come, that have counted the cost and are ready to come. That's who I want coming with me because I don't want to spend time convincing you. I won't spend time convincing you. Sometimes I do tests on whether or not you want to come by starting as early in the morning as possible. <laughs> Send that text out to this group of guys I meet with. It's like, all right, 6 a.m. this week. Who's coming? The hungry ones will show up. We did a deal not too long ago. Well, it's been, it's been a while. I think in longer time frames than you youngsters do. Uh, but where it was like, it was this freedom ministry thing. It's like if you're encountering strongholds, if you've got addictions and stuff you're facing and you want some principles for, for freedom, come. We start at six. Because I didn't want fluff there. I wanted people that wanted to be there. I know you don't have anything going at six. Right? So I know I've nailed your schedule and I'm only going to get hungry people. Right? Point is, bring somebody with you, but don't feel like you've got to do some special song and dance to convince people. It's okay if just a few go. A few hungry ones will be far better far better than convincing the masses. You with me? Okay. So Moses brought Joshua, but that's not the point. Isn't that great how we have side points? All right. The point is, listen to what happened. So Moses would meet with God, go back into the camp to deal with people. And what would Joshua do? This is how you know he's hungry. Stayed there. Okay. Here's the, here's the principle. This is what I want us to catch here. We learned this from Joshua. If you're hungry, you will linger. If you're hungry, you will count the time that it takes to linger. You will want to what? Stay in his presence. I want to meet with you, God, and I don't want it to stop. I'm not talking about, okay, now how am I going to figure out my quiet time based on these new ramifications? Right, that's not what I'm talking about. We're not going to put meeting with God in the box of a quiet time. Okay? 
Not saying don't have one, but if you can define it, good luck, okay? Meet with God and, and let that last as long as it needs to last. Even if, it, even if you get up and go do something else, don't disengage from the presence of God. Don't disengage from what he's saying and speaking to you. To be hungry means that you're willing to linger. Joshua stuck around and it was like, this is so good, I'll just stay here in case something else happens, right? Because I don't know if God was speaking to Joshua in that moment. I don't, I don't know. But Joshua just wasn't ready to get, get done with that. He was ready to stick around. The presence of God was so good that he wanted to just stay a little bit. And I'm just telling you, we need people that not only will be willing to be separated, but we need people that are willing to linger in the presence of God. Who is Joshua? Do we know what happens later on in this story? What does Joshua get to do? He leads the children of Israel into the promised land. I'm just, listen, the burden of my heart is that we would have leaders who linger in God's presence. That's you. I don't mean leaders in some political scale. I don't mean leaders in, I don't mean leaders by title. I mean leaders in the kingdom. People who lead in the kingdom are hungry for the Lord. They've sought after him in such a way that separates them from normal worship and they're willing to stay in God's presence. Linger. Okay, the last thing. Let's read a couple more verses. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So Moses is interceding on behalf of the people. And he said, this is God's response. Moses is not real happy about, well, I'll just send an angel ahead of you, but I'm not going. Moses is not real happy about that. He's saying, no, not going to happen. And God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. You see, what was valuable in Moses' life, what was valuable to the people as a whole was God's presence. Okay? And he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? I love that statement. Again, there's so much there. But how will it be known that I have found favor? What does he connect favor with? Presence. Presence. God's presence in and amongst them was what Moses connected with favor. Sometimes I think we try to earn God's favor by getting it all right. We think in our greatest success, that's where we're going to have favor with God. We think when we're, when we're living this Christian life the exact way we think we're supposed to live it, and we've, got, we've checked all the boxes of the Christian life, that that's connected with favor. That's not what Moses said was favor. He didn't say we behaved really well, and so now we have found favor in your sight. It's not what he said. 
Favor was connected with presence. How do you know that you found favor in the sight of God? Why? Because he's put himself in you. Presence is favor. Okay? We're not going to spend tons of time there, but I just wanted to make that point. And the Lord said to Moses, this is this very thing uh, that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, listen to this statement, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. What I want to just stop at is this question. So what's he talking to God about? Okay, He's talking about God, about his presence going with them. Y'all tracking with the, the conversation? God, go with us. We don't want to go if your presence doesn't come. So the, so the context of the conversation is about what from God? God's presence. Now, Moses goes into a different conversation. He changes gears here. God says, I will go with you. Okay? And this is what Moses says uh, in verse, um, where am I? 18. Moses asks, he makes this request. He says, please show me your glory. Okay, now what I want to do is I just want to kind of talk about the implications of that statement and what it looks like to be hungry because that's a difference maker. See, think about, just think about the people uh, that were in the camp that watched Moses and God interact. Did they have any experience with the presence of God? Think about it. Don't, 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 don't be so quick. Think about it. They did, didn't they? And what, how would we describe their interaction with the presence of God? It's okay, you can answer. Yeah, from a distance, they were an audience to the presence of God. Were they moved by that experience? Did it impact them? Sure. I mean, it says that they worshiped, and what we're not going to say is that we're not going to say, that, well, that's not really true. They weren't really worshiping. They were just worshiping from a distance, Right? But an encounter with God's presence impacted them, okay? Think about your life. You ever encountered God's presence? Well, the scripture says that we all have. That even in creation, we've beheld his glory and we've encountered his presence. You can probably think about times where you encountered God's presence. Sometimes maybe it was from close up, sometimes maybe it was from far off, but God's presence is something that is encountered, I would say, on a frequent daily basis. God is constantly displaying his presence, right? Most of the time, we get satisfied with observing a display of God's presence, and it never really draws us to Moses' statement. This is a difference maker between normal worship and people that are hungry. See, nobody else, nobody else asked or made that statement to the Lord, just Moses. They all observed his presence. And I would say that for the most part, we observe God's presence. And we could talk about moments where we've observed God's presence. And here's what I'm not doing. I'm not belittling those moments. Those are significant moments in our life, right? 
Some of those moments maybe were moments where even, that even led to your salvation, is encountering the presence of God as he changed you. Those are not insignificant moments. But Moses wasn't satisfied with observing God's presence. Moses was hungry because Moses knew God as a friend. And so Moses wanted something more. And he makes this statement. He says, show me your glory. God's glory is subsequent to his presence. You with me? You can observe God's presence and not, listen, experience his glory. Doesn't mean it's not there. But you can observe his presence and not experience his glory. Moses observed his presence and said, show me your glory. I want to I come into contact with the, uh, and I can't think, uh, the English is failing me right now. I can't think of the, I think, can't think of the word. But the, uh, the next thing in line is an experience of his glory. And Moses wasn't satisfied with just seeing his presence. He wasn't satisfied with God just being there. He wanted to step into the ramifications of God's presence. Which was his glory. And so he demanded of God to see his glory. Listen, hungry people know that they can ask for what God has promised he will give. Did y'all track that? I'm even like thinking, did I say that right? Hungry people know that they can ask for what God has promised he will give. God has promised that he will give you all of himself. That he'll withhold nothing from you. We don't have to be people that from afar look at his presence and go, oh, let's worship God in his presence. That's nothing wrong with that, but God has asked us to come deeper. God has made deeper things available to us. God has, has given himself relationally in a deeper way and has asked us to ask for, uh, for him to show his glory. God wants that question. God welcomes that question for us to come into a deeper place and stand before God and demand of him what he said he will do, which is show me your glory. And Moses kind of sets himself apart in this demand. He asks this of God and what's God's response? What does he say? I will make all of my goodness pass before you. What does God say? Look at me. He says, okay, (laughs) Now think about the road to get there. Moses didn't earn it. Moses did not earn it. This is in the wake of catastrophic failure. You with me? Listen, I mean, you've you got to think of the magnitude of this, of this failure, that God has rescued them from Egypt, and then with this dramatic rescue, crushes Egypt behind them, and they start to worship a golden calf as a whole. It's not like one guy in a tent with a golden calf. Y'all with me? It's the whole group. Catastrophic failure. They didn't earn it. But what God said way beforehand was that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you. My presence will be with you. And God promised his presence. And so Moses knew that if God has promised his presence, that I can ask, I can demand to see his glory. But I think only God's friends demand to see his glory. It's just a kindle thought, okay? I, I think we've got to know God in that way to ask to see his glory. I think if we don't come in, I, don't, I think if, if we're not hungry, 
If we're not coming after God in the deeper places, if we don't know him and speak with him like a man speaks with his friend, then, then we'll be fearful. Maybe fearful or maybe like I can't, there's no way I could even do this. I'm not cleaned up enough. I still got junk and so I can't ask and say of God, show me your glory. But if we know him as a friend, if, we've, if we've, we've been hungry enough to come after him in the deeper place, if we've separated ourselves from normal, just mundane worship, and we've come after the Lord, if we've lingered in his presence, then it doesn't take long in doing that to know that he is my friend. And that I can ask of him for his glory to be known. I can ask of him to show me his glory. And God's desire and his delight is to give us all of himself. And so, of course, his response to Moses is, yeah, that's a great demand. And he says, I'm gonna, all my goodness is going to pass before you. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus would reiterate this. You don't have to go there. We're kind of out of time. Um, but Matthew 5, verse 6 it's the Beatitudes, and Jesus says, he says something about being hungry. Okay, wait a minute. I know I said I was closing, but y'all just all started moving. Hold on. Matthew 5, 6, he says, blessed are those who what? With hunger. Anybody know? Bible trivia. Okay, all right. Matthew 5, 6. Oh, snap, y'all didn't even know with it up there? Or are we all just like, dude, it's behind you. And... <laughs> okay. Blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. What's righteousness? Yeah, it's like, it's the, care, it's the, the rightness of God. It, uh, righteousness is the personality of God. <laughs> so, Blessed are those, essentially it's blessed are those who hunger and thirst for who God is. What does it say? I know it's back there, y'all, come on. What does it say? For they will be, yeah, you see it? There's really only satisfaction when we hunger and thirst. If we would really push when we're back here with everybody else in normal worship, is there real satisfaction? There's not. That's a strange thing. This is one of those kingdom things. I talk about it a lot. Kingdom is kind of upside down from our normal understanding, and we go through this a bunch. But in the kingdom, to live, you have to die. And to be first, you have to be last. Okay, right? So there's some wacky stuff in the kingdom. You can be hungry and satisfied at the same time in the kingdom. So... He says, it's a weird thing to say. It's like, blessed are those who want to go eat at Cain's for they'll be full. Wait a minute. If I want to go eat at Cain's, it means I'm not full. It means I got this chicken thing going on, like I want some chicken, right? I can't be full and want that at the same time because after I have experienced Cain's, I'm not hungry for it anymore. For me, after I've experienced Cain's, I'm like, oh, never again just shocks my system, <laughs> right? But you see the point. That's weird for him to say hunger and thirst, they'll be satisfied. That's the thing, though. In the kingdom, you see, and Moses was, he was hungry and thirsty and satisfied at the same time. And if, if we'll let that hunger and thirst 
produce a coming after him, like separate ourselves from normal, come linger in his presence, what we'll find is that it's perfectly satisfying because it's what we were created for. It's what God made us to be satisfied by. We'll be perfectly satisfied and yet still hungry. We'll want more. Not more because God hasn't given us enough, but more because he's perfectly supplied everything we need. That's this crazy thought of the kingdom, that his presence always fully satisfies and always leaves me going, God, I want more of you. So the question is, listen, will you be hungry? Will we come after him in that way? Will we be dissatisfied with normal worship? Will we come outside of the camp and go to the tent of meeting where we're really gonna encounter God? And when we do, will we linger there? Will that be the most important thing that we do in our lifetime is be in the presence of God? And will we linger there for a while? And if we linger there, will it build in us more and more of a hunger and a thirst for him? Not because he's uh, left us out, but because he's fulfilled us and we get to go, okay, show me your glory. And over and over and over again, we get to have this, this pattern in our lives of encountering God, meeting with him, him showing us his glory, us being desiring that for more, that hunger gets birthed in us for more. And we keep coming after him, keep encountering him in the deeper place. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. So email me if you have a good title for that message. Let's pray. God, would you just, uh, yeah, would you just create in us a dissatisfaction with normal? I think that it's a, it's a sneaky thing. Normal worship can just kind of lull us to sleep. We can just get apathetic really, really, really easy. And then we look around and it's like, well, that's what everybody else is doing. So maybe this hunger is kind of a strange thing. And we kind of quiet that hunger for you because we just think that it's normal to be normal. And so would you just disturb our normal? Would you just wake us out of normal? Would we become totally and completely dissatisfied with just normal worship? Would you create in us a hunger for more of you, for more of your presence? Not because we get ourselves cleaned up, but because you've invited us into your presence. You've invited us to deeper places with you. And so I just pray that we'd be willing to be separated. I pray that we would linger in your presence. And I pray that we would ask of you what you want to give, which is the fullness of your glory. You've promised all of yourself. You'll withhold nothing because you love us. And I pray that we would demand that of you, that we would ask that of you so we would know the blessing of being your children. God, would you just birth in us a supernatural hunger for you? And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.